The scripture for today is comes from Matthew 17, verses 1 through 13, and is found on page 1,193 in your pew Bibles. So, hear the word of the Lord. Six days later, Jesus took Peter, James, and John, his brother, and brought them to the top of a very high mountain. He was transformed in front of them. His face shone like the sun, and his clothes became as white as light. Moses and Elijah appeared to them, talking with Jesus. Peter reacted to all of this by saying to Jesus, Lord, it's good that we're here. If you want, I'll make three shrines, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. While he was still speaking, look, a bright cloud overshadowed them. A voice from the cloud said, This is my son, whom I dearly love. I am very pleased with him. Listen to him. Hearing this, the disciples fell on their faces and filled with awe. But Jesus came and touched them. Get up, he said. Don't be afraid. When they looked down, uh, when they looked up, they saw no one except Jesus. As they were coming down the mountain, Jesus commanded them, Don't tell anybody about the vision until the human one is raised from the dead. The disciples asked, Then why do the legal experts say that Elijah must first come? Jesus responded, Elijah does come first and will restore all things. In fact, I tell you that Elijah has already come, and they didn't know uh, him, but they did to him whatever they wanted. In the same way, the human one is also going to suffer at their hands. Then the disciples realized that he was telling them about John the Baptist. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray together. Lord, thank you so much for this account of your revealing yourself through your son, Jesus Christ. Again this morning, we earnestly pray that you will speak to our minds and hearts, that we may hear your voice, we may do what you want us to do, for we pray in the strong name of Christ our Lord. Amen. If there was ever a time in the history of the Christian church, at least in our lifetime, that the church of Jesus Christ needs a fresh touch of the immortal God, that time is now. We have been buffeted about. All of our normal processes for caring for each other have been tested and often have been found inadequate for the needs of our people. Church is not, not 
just our church, but churches at large are struggling. Perhaps there's not been a time in our lifetime when pastoral burnout has been as serious. In a time like this, we need, the church needs deep soul therapy. Knowing that God loves us and is still willing to work, in fact, wants to work in new and powerful ways within our world. Uh, some time ago, this came especially to my mind um, by a statement that our pastor in, in Kentucky made. Uh, Sylvia and I have volunteered, I should say Sylvia volunteered us to vacuum the uh, sanctuary, the worship center, every two or three months. A group of families do that on a rotating basis. And we had uh, finished vacuuming. The rest of the church, somebody else takes care of. But this is just a great way, we believe, in order to uh, take care of that need. So we're on our way out. And our pastor, who apparently had been maybe in his study, uh, working on some things, was coming out at the same time we were. And he was surprised to see us there. We said, no, this is our turn to vacuum the sanctuary. And he uh, started, we started talking about the church, how things were going. We had just come into one of those moments, not the last one, but one of those moments when COVID wasn't quite as virulent as it had been before. And he made a statement I always remember. And he said, talking about the congregation, I hope they come back again. And I thought to myself, I'll bet every pastor in the land has that kind of thought at this moment. Because we've been through this time. Some of us have found that uh, worshiping online is really quite meaningful. And I'm so thankful that we here at First Church have an unusually high quality online presence. And that we often we'll have as many people worshiping online as we have in the worship center for our two services. Um, that's such, such a valuable thing. And Sylvia and I, during certain parts of the pandemic, worshiped at home and found it really amazingly meaningful. And yet we realize that there's something that we deeply miss in the middle of all that when we can't actually see each other there's a physical presence that we don't have. But then when we come to worship, we're sometimes not sure how to act around one another. I remember coming again, this was back in the, maybe the fall, something like that, coming into worship in our home church there and saw a friend of mine toward the back of the, the church, the worship center, and just without thinking, uh, we gave each other a big hug. And then the thought went through my mind, what did I give him? Or what did I get? <laughs> you know, that's what we've had to live through. And so there is a sense in which we need God to speak to us in a, a new and powerful way. A, a therapy, a soul therapy that touches the deepest part of who we are. And that's where this passage of scripture this morning, I believe is unusually helpful to us because this time, the people that Jesus touches are not people who are physically ill. They are in fact, some of his very strongest and best followers. And yet 
also to them comes his touch. You all, or most of you, remember that during these weeks during Lent, we're looking at these passages of Scripture where the Gospel writer specifically tells us that Christ touched someone. And in this case, it was the three disciples that were with Jesus on the Mount of Transfiguration as they had fallen down in worship before him. This passage of Scripture, this part of the Gospel story, reminds us that if we are going to know that, that deep sense of God's presence in our life, a presence that hopefully came to you when you first came to Jesus, met him as Savior and Lord, and hopefully that has come to you periodically within your life. I think for our, uh, some of us when we were uh, teenagers, we might have gone to camp and we came back high as a kite because we had sensed a presence of God that we had not known before. Maybe we're in some kind of event where the presence of God was so powerful that we were reaffirmed of his love for us. Or maybe it was a time all alone for some, it may be walking through the woods or on the lake where it just seems like God is everywhere and we are deeply touched within. Well, this passage of scripture illustrates for us two threads that deep within us will run through most of those experiences. The first of those is the, uh, the vision of Christ's glory. Um, you remember uh, Jesus took with him three of his disciples, Peter, James, and John, up to a mountain, and he was revealed to them in a way that he had not been before. Now, some ask the question, why only Peter... James and John. I mean, the, all of the disciples needed this kind of touch. I, in particular, wonder where Andrew was, because Peter, James, and John, and Andrew were sort of the big foursome often, uh, but nah, we don't know. Somebody might say he was off looking for a child with uh, a few loaves of bread and some fish, like uh, happened at the feeding of the 5,000. But these three men were there, and they experienced something that very few people in the world ever have. Because Christ was, as the CEV translates it, was transformed in front of them, began to glow. There was this cloud. There was the voice of Jesus. I imagine that Peter, James, and John very quickly flipped back in their minds to some of these stories that they had heard in the past. You know, this was not the first time that God came in a cloud. He came on Mount Sinai when he gave the law. Uh, he came when the tabernacle was first dedicated. He came with the dedication of the temple. Whenever this happened, people that were there of the Hebrew faith knew God was powerfully present. Um, so their first thing is this, this vision of Christ's glory. And then three, uh, two other men appear with Jesus, Moses and Elijah. Now these men, you know, had been dead for a very long time. But somehow God brought them present and 
So we have Moses, who's the great lawgiver. We have Elijah, the greatest of the prophets. And then if that's not enough, you have the voice of God himself who exclaims, this is my son in whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. And Peter experienced something he had never experienced before, the vision of God's glory. But right alongside of that, before they had come down from the mountain, Jesus reminded the disciples again of what they had just been talking about. It's pretty significant when we look at this passage of Scripture to remember what comes just before it and what comes just after it. And on the way down, he reminds them that he's going to die. And of course, just before he took them up on the mountain, he had for the first time told them, that we believe the first time, that he would be crucified and rise again on the third day. Maybe you remember how that part of the story went. He's talking with his disciples, and he says to them, who do people say I am? That must have been an interesting thing for him to ask that question. I, I'm sure he genuinely wondered what the talk of the crowd was. And so the disciples repeated some of the things, that, you know, Moses or Elijah again, or maybe John the Baptist come back from the dead. Then he says, but who do you say that I am? And I wonder if he didn't sort of hold his breath as he waited for them to respond. And that was when Peter, remember what Peter said? It's like, it's like truth came through to him in a way that seldom does. He said, you are the Christ, the Messiah, the Son of the living God. And Christ is so pleased, he said, yes, you know, Peter, Flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but God has revealed to this. And you are Peter, the rock. And on that rock, I can build a church. And uh, then you remember what happened, as far as we know, immediately afterwards? He then believes that he can tell them that really his end is not going to be what they expect. That he's going to be crucified. He's going to, be, he's going to suffer. He's going to die but he will rise again on the third day. And Peter, I mean, maybe he thought that this had all gone to Christ's head or something. But Peter rebukes Jesus and says, no, it can't be, Lord. And that's the point at which Jesus has to put Peter aside and say, you know, this is not the truth, Peter. Uh, so he's just revealed the fact, warned them of his coming death, and then just after the transfiguration, and of course he heals the demon-possessed boy on the way down from the mountain, he again, or at least Matthew again, records Jesus predicting his death. So it's not only a vision of Christ's glory, but it's also that touch of Christ's sacrifice. In the middle of this, as the disciples fall on their faces, before Christ. They've seen this glorious presentation. They fall on their faces in awe and worship. Christ comes over and touches them. And it is as if he wants to say, 
you also have to include the tough part of what's going on in life. And I'm going to die. We experience deep soul therapy when somehow in our spirits we can wed together not only the glory of what Christ has done, but also our inability to do what we believe and want to do well without his divine touch. Uh, remember how Peter responded on the mountain when all of this is going on? He says, uh, Lord, uh, I can do it. I'll build three shrines. That's the way the CEV translates it, or three tabernacles as the NIV translates it. We'll have three places, and whenever we get feeling as if things aren't going well, we can return to this place and worship again at the holy shrines. In fact, some commentators believe that Peter was saying, I really want to just camp out here for a while. I have no interest in going anywhere at all. You know, those were very understandable human kind of reactions, especially for a do-it person like Peter. Let me do something for you, Lord, and then let's just, let's just institutionalize what we've just experienced. Um, in the middle of our inability to know how to deal with the presentation of his glory, Christ said, says to us, I know you can't do it yourself, but I can do it in you. Some time ago, I was fascinated as I, I read a book by Andy Crouch um, entitled Strong and Weak. The rest of the title is Embracing a Life of Love, Risk, and True Flourishing. And in his book, um, Crouch tries to blend together both our need to be uh, people who carry spiritual authority, uh, responsibility, accountability in life, both that spiritual authority and we're people of deep vulnerability. So we are open to the needs of people around us. And he put together really a helpful graphic that I wanted to take a minute and talk about this morning. It's up here on the screen. You notice there, there's, there's this uh, double axis, the horizontal axis, is how vulnerable you let yourself be to people around you. The further to the right you go, the more vulnerable. The further to the left, the less vulnerable. And then the access up and down, the vertical access, is your sense of taking authority in life. And Christ was able to wed together high authority and high vulnerability. And it does make sense, at least to me, that when you live there, you flourish in life. Now, if you're high in authority, and low in vulnerability, you're sending hundreds of thousands of troops into a neighboring country and killing thousands of people simply because you can do it and because you don't want to lose any of your special privilege in life. Those are the exploiters. 
Now, if you're low in both authority and vulnerability, then your inclination in life is to withdraw. And every parent has had the temptation to do this. You've got your kids there. You, they're not doing what you want them to do. You're trying your best, but my goodness, the, you, you become convinced the safest thing is to do nothing. That is just withdrawing in life. Or if you're high on vulnerability and low on authority, then you are the person that everybody takes advantage of because you, you don't have the power to do very much and you are just, and you can't withdraw. You are vulnerable simply because of the place you are in life. Now, it makes sense to me that consistent with what the transfiguration and also Christ's revealing of his suffering uh, shares, that we can live in a place of high flourishing because of God's work within our life where we are vulnerable to the needs of people around us. We open ourselves to their needs and try to be part of the solution. And, you know, we have several ministries in the church, probably far more than I know of, that they place themselves in that very spot of wanting to be open to the needs of people who have virtually no authority. And we take whatever authority we have in life in order to share and help those persons who desperately need it in life. Um, Crouch in his book makes two suggestions as, as to how we can sort of experiment with uh, being a, a flourishing person with high authority and also high vulnerability. As one suggestion is, um, you know that family that lives down the street that you wish would move somewhere else? Figure out something nice that you can do for them that you can do secretly, that they'll never know you've done it. A secret kind of vulnerable gift for them. Or maybe it, it's that person at the job who uh, you're really thankful their desk is far away. And, uh, and so look for an opportunity to catch them at the, you know, the coffee machine or uh, the water cooler and ask them a question about their family where you open yourself up to learn something more about them a person that you really don't want to know anything about, in a sense, because you're afraid of what it's going to cost. Making yourself vulnerable, taking the authority that you've given in life. Or another suggestion that he made was that uh, you find an opportunity to be part of a ministry team to a country where there are many, many broken people. Um, and open yourself up to the pain of people that have to live that way. Or maybe here in Seattle, to wander down among the folks, the homeless, and find out a little bit more of what's going on in their lives, where we make ourselves vulnerable. At the same time, we do have a fair amount of authority. And as we do, we place ourselves in that spot 
where God can do deep soul therapy within our own life to show us again his glory, to show us again how even the most terrible things of life can be used of him in order to be good to ourselves and to others. I shared with you a couple of weeks ago about my dad and you know how he was converted because of the work of a little local church ministering to street kids. And both my mom and dad came out of, you would say, pretty bitter kinds of home situations. Uh, they became uh, just the most amazing people of ministry. I mean, common folks. My dad was a machinist. My mom, a homemaker. But there's this trail of people who have come to know Jesus uh, as a result of their witness. Uh, all six of their kids uh, love Jesus, and most of them, most of the grandkids uh, love Jesus. Um, all four of their boys ended up in the ministry. Um, I, I used to think it was largely because of the, of the church, the church that loved them into the kingdom and brought them to a place of leadership. Um, the more I thought about their lives, though, the more I have to add something to it. Because they went through some of the hardest experiences that two parents ever could. Uh, seven children, they had seven children, six lived to adulthood. My younger brother Mark died, I think he was six years of old age. He never spoke, he never walked. Maybe today the doctors could do something for him, but at that time they couldn't even figure out a way for him to keep food down. Um, when he died, they bought three funeral lots in a little cemetery near where we lived. I'm sure at the time planning that when they passed, they would be buried next to him. He wouldn't lie there alone, and that's where they are now. Um, during their life, my dad was a machinist, uh, was stricken with Meniere's disease, had to take a uh, early retirement, um, lost totally his hearing. He was, he was a very vivacious, gregarious kind of person, loved to talk with people, loved to sing. All of that was lost. Sometimes I'd look at him in a crowd, all he could do was smile. Um, but he had a powerful smile. Uh, then after he had to take this early retirement, he and my younger, my older brother, Ed, started a business which had to go through bankruptcy, which I think was maybe the toughest thing for them because of the sense of shame that they felt at that time. I always remember my mom saying, we will pay back every penny. The banks get the houses, that's okay for that. But anybody that actually lost money, we will work until we pay it all back. I had a new appreciation for bankruptcy. Now believe it's the closest we come to the year of Jubilee. Somebody should not, because of bad business <laughs> kinds of decisions, have to be in debt for all the rest of their life. My one sister, Sharon, when she chose the two worst husbands that I could ever imagine. The only good thing the one ever did for her was he died while in prison, so her kids had the Social Security as a result. I've come to the realization that it wasn't just that fresh touch of Jesus through salvation that made my parents the powerful people of faith they were. It was the fact that when things went south, 
when everything fell apart, they decided they would take those experiences and let God transform them into something that could bless other people. And I believe that's true for every one of us. It's not just the vision of his glory. It's also the touch of his sacrifice. He walks with us through the worst of life, and there's nothing that can happen to us that he cannot use for his good and for our good. It's just simply the way it is this morning as we share together in Holy Communion. We have the opportunity again to say to him, Lord, I want to live with a sense of your glory. Remind me of that over and over again. In fact, Lord, this morning, show me again who you are. And then also at the same time, say to him, Lord, sometimes I'm really afraid of what might happen. Other people have terrible things happen to them. My trouble is fear. I want to give that to you. Or maybe it is a hard thing that right now you're going through. Give it to him and say, Lord, I can't redeem it, but I believe you are who you are, and I believe you can. Let's pray. Oh, God of the universe, you are powerfully here because you love us beyond what we can imagine. And you do want to take us to the mountain of your glory. But at the same time, you are not going to walk away when we go through the crosses of life. Thank you for that. And now we share together in Holy Communion and we open ourselves anew to all you want to do. For we pray in the name of Jesus. Amen.